Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, game, ink weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, today we are talking about the science of soccer or the physics of football. And I'm here with one of my students who works on the show, volunteers on the show, Taylor Raybould. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you today, Gina? Pretty good. And this was your idea. Yes. And we brought in expert in, in soccer or football. I like to say that. He might not think that of himself, but I think he's an expert. A colleague of mine who teaches physics and astronomy at Western Washington University, Andreas Riemann. Thanks for having me. So... I, I, we brought you in because you actually teach a course at Western Washington University, and can you tell us the title and tell us a little bit about the course and like how it came to be? Yeah, so uh, the title is Physics of Soccer, so I call it soccer. The general student is not confused if I would call it football, that we talk about American football, right. but we talk about European football, soccer. It's actually a 100-level class, uh, can be taken by any student, not just science students, but any kind of major. So the prerequisites are uh, pretty minimal, just some basic math, and then we go from there. So like, what was the cause of this class? Like, Why did you want to teach a class about, about soccer? Football. Football. <laughs> African football. Yeah. We decided to have a class on physics application, and different instructors do uh, different topics in this class what they like. We have a physics of music and a physics of color right. and light. And I thought, you know, a physics of soccer would be fun because you can do some basic uh, mechanics, but you can also go a little bit deeper into the more interesting part of soccer. How long have you been playing soccer? So I grew up in uh, Germany. So basically for my whole childhood, I was playing soccer every day after school that was our our after school activity so soccer in germany is you know the sport number one all the other sports are just uh, hobbies not very, hobbies not very popular <laughs> yeah. exactly and so every every child plays uh, soccer and that's what i did growing up and then i played a little bit in college like intramurals and when i came over here i played a little bit just for fun i i really enjoy it yeah so that's why you picked that topic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's bring it to Taylor because you've been working on the show for a little while and you are very interested in soccer. I so am. So let, let's go a little into that story and why you really wanted to have a show on the, the science of soccer, the physics of football. Well, believe it or not, I actually used to hate soccer because when I first what? played, I first played soccer in kindergarten, and it was my absolute least favorite because I couldn't run and kick the ball at the same time. You were five. I yes, <laughs> it was a long time ago. But a few years ago, I watched the 2014 World Cup, and that sort of revived my love for the sport. Wow! So you went from like five to you know in your late teens just hating soccer. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. And now you've just done a complete 180. Complete. And now you you were we were actually working on a show and you had to take a break and like watch a part of a of a game. I remember. 
And what game was that? That was the Barcelona's 6-1 win over Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League rounds to move on to the quarterfinals. And you were like yelling in the, in the I was. I was throwing my hat around every time they <laughs> scored because Barcelona was coming back from a 4-0 defeat in the first leg. Yeah. And so the fact that they managed to win on aggregate overall was incredible. So are you kind of like in this in the state of mind where you would want more US born people to kind of get more into soccer? Absolutely. And more into football. Absolutely. <laughs> it's one of it's the beautiful game. It's yeah. one of the most simple and exquisite sports that there is to offer around the world and the fact that so many people are so interested in it you know, except for America, is really disheartening. So you want to do a, a, like a, a science show on soccer, but why is that? So w- what made you go into school and like, what is your major? What did you want to study when you went into university? Originally, I was a physics major, as you know, yeah. being one of your students. Yes. <laughs> but uh, since then, I have moved on to uh, kinesiology, yeah. and which is I'm a movement studies specialization of kinesiology, which really focuses on the biomechanics and the movement of sports and other things like that. And for our listeners, we had another show on kinesiology. You can check that out earlier in the in the season. But so you're you're interested. I think you had a lot of questions that you wanted to ask uh, Dr. Riemann about when you're looking at a soccer game, when you're seeing the the passes, all this these kind of things. You had these questions, so I wanted to let you ask some of those questions um, for our guest here. I do. All right. My <laughs> first question, my most burning question is. When you see a really amazing kick or a corner kick or a free kick in soccer, football, how does the spin on the ball come about? What causes that amazing curve that people can do to a soccer ball? Uh, I agree. That's one of the more exciting kicks in, in soccer. Let's step back a little bit, uh, you know, maybe back to my physics of soccer class. Yeah. And as I said, the prerequisites for students is pretty minimal. So we are starting out with understanding the basic ideas, how a ball moves. I heard about projectile motion where we just uh, assume no wind, no drag, no friction or anything like this. So we start out with that and we can explain most of the motion pretty well. Yeah, but so then, when we're talking about projectile motion, we're just talking about, hey, something's moving in the air, we, sh- we throw it at some angle, and it's going to make this arc motion, and that's what we're talking about, projectile motion. Exactly, so it, it moves like a parabola or so. Right. But then uh, the interesting part, what you asked Taylor uh, about, is when the ball uh, is giving a spin. So the, the player kicks the ball slightly off-center, the ball starts to rotate. When the star- ball starts to rotate, um, depending on the speed of the ball in the air, uh, the air can do two different things, basically. It can be in what is called a turbulent flow, where you have basically these turbulences around the ball of the air. It's like in turbulent little twirls, if you want to, around the ball. Uh, that's when the ball moves really fast. And then when the ball slows down, there is what it's called a laminar flow, where the ball, where the air just flows around the ball. Cutting through the air versus interacting with things on each side, like knocking it around a bit. Yeah, okay. yeah, basically. And the interesting part about this one is uh, that other players don't really know what to expect because the ball first goes in a straight path because it is in this 
turbulent flow and then suddenly it slows down enough and then it starts to curve. One of the more famous kicks was from Roberto Carlos when Brazil played against France in, I don't know, 2010-ish or so about. You can see he is taking a free kick and in soccer you always put uh, people in front of the goal to make a wall. Right. And, and they're like always covering themselves. They always uh, protect themselves. That's yeah. what I just remember from that, that kick. Yeah. I don't know very much about soccer. So anyway, uh, so uh, the wall is there to protect one part of the goal. You were making this wall. Are you going to pick cover the right part of the goal, the left part of the goal, the center? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So usually like one third of the goal is protected by the wall. The other two thirds, hopefully by the goalie. Right. Hopefully. So, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this ball is going by this wall and... Basically, everybody thinks it's going far next to the goal. However, then after the ball passes the wall, suddenly it starts to rotate and basically curves very beautifully into the corner of the goal. Wow. And uh, So I need to look up this video. You definitely need to. Okay. Just Roberto Carlos and okay. Brazil, France. Okay. And they, and they weren't expecting that at all. Like they were not get guarding that tiny, tiny bit because they didn't think it would be able to like curve in. No, because the straight path right. was basically. So, and, and like the faster this ball is going, the more prolonged this, this curve will happen, right? Like at, at which time the curve will happen, right? So like the faster it's going, it'll curve at the very end, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, and like the slower it goes, it's going to start curving pretty early. Yes. You Got can, it. If you if you kick it slow, like I think a corner kick in general, you know, you kick it a little bit slower and then it starts to curve right away. And um, it's some pretty, you can actually score a goal from a corner kick. And it's really incredible to see people bend it out and then straight back in. Okay. What do we mean by corner kicks? Like where do corner kicks exist on the field? There's only four corners, right? right? So you're pretty close to the goal. And you're like on the same line, same horizontal line. You're telling me it curves all the way like like a hemisphere, kind of like a half of a circle, yeah. all the way back in. Yeah, horizontally it curves. Yeah. When you said, let me bring you back to when you said you were growing up and you were saying that everyone played soccer. Um, was it mostly, I think I asked you this before and I don't remember the answer, but was it mostly males, like boys that were playing the soccer uh, and girls or was it like, or was it just the boys that were playing the soccer? No, unfortunately, um, in Germany, it's very common that only boys play okay. soccer. There's girls and women's soccer also, and Germany is pretty good. The U.S. is uh, even better. Yes. But it's it's not... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the reason I asked is because in the United States, it's almost more of a female sport is soccer when we're dealing with elementary school and high school and the teams. Um so we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back to this idea of pop culture and society and soccer um, later. But we want to come back and I'm going to let Taylor ask some more questions about physics of football. Welcome back. I'm Taylor Rabel here with Dr. Riemann talking about the physics of football. And I have a question for you. Can the altitude that you play at affect the way the ball travels through the air? As we mentioned earlier that 
Soccer is a global sport, and so whether if you're playing in Buenos Aires or in Death Valley, does that have any effect on how the ball travels? God, I'm so proud of him. He's, like, so prepared. Yeah, he is. <laughs> They're good questions. Okay. So we are back to the question of pressure. So at higher altitudes, you have thinner air. So first of all, the ball would go uh, much farther because one big thing is the air resistance, which influences the flight of the path and the distance. Like how much farther, though? I'm, I'm thinking like... Like, let's talk about, like, Colorado, like, Boulder, Colorado or something. Mm -hmm. Would they be like, hey, 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 like, they only got that shot or this is going further only because we're here? I mean, how much further? That's a good question. Yeah. I think in a regular, like, at sea level or mm -hmm. so, a goalie can get the ball definitely over the halfway line, mm -hmm. which would be about 50 meters, 50 yards about. Mm -hmm. I think at high altitude, it can definitely go probably... Uh, all the way almost to the penalty box or so. Yeah. So, yeah, so definitely that has an influence. I mean, fortunately, both teams have the same advantage. That's right? true. So, That's true. So. I, I guess then that, which makes me think of a question that Ed Taylor had talked to us about earlier. Um, so go ahead, Taylor, ask another, ask another question. Yeah, we, we <laughs> mentioned something about the penalty box earlier, and my next question is actually about penalties and angles. So... Imagine you're taking a penalty kick from 12 yards away, mm -hmm. and you kick the ball slightly off-center. How off-center can you be before you are over the goal, before you miss your shot? Oh, okay, over the goal, yeah. You know, surprisingly, in misses in penalty kicks or so, it's very often that they go over the goal because they want to have it high up so the goalie cannot get it and um, to quantify your your question kind of what the angle is if it's like 12 yards you need velocity right you know how how hard you're kicking it or how fast it's going to start with right yeah not I mean, just the angle that's right so i mean there's uh i think clint dempsey sometimes kicks a penalty kick where he just waits out the goalie and let the goalie go into one of the two corners and then he just chips it in the middle really slightly in so there was a the penalty kick i think it was a barcelona game even uh neymar's where the person who took the penalty just kicked it slightly forward and then somebody else oh, that was Lionel messi who laid it off for luis suarez okay yeah that was so another famous kick you can uh, okay so he can, that person didn't move continually up or he passed it to somebody oh, no, he moved it forward the ball but just slightly mm -hmm. and then somebody else came running from outside the box where you have to wait and kicked it in so that's how, unusual how is that okay to do it's okay as long as the kicker does not go into the penalty box oh. one more question taylor do you have any more? oh i've got i've got two more excellent okay. uh my next one is how much force is in a kick how much power is produced oh. when you kick a ball all right <laughs> yeah so I think you said 30 meters per second or something like that. I think speed. that was the, the speed of the ball. We started oh, okay. with the speed of the ball of uh, 30 meters per second. Oh, that's I think so fast, that would. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like at the beginning, right? Okay. And then. I'm going to write this down. 30 meters per second you have as a speed. And mm -hmm. what else do we need is kind of how long is the foot actually in contact with the ball? Because we're talking about impulse now. We're talking about force times change in, change in time, right? That's right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So we have to 
the mass of the ball, we said about uh, one pound or half a kilogram mm -hmm. to be in metric units. Mm -hmm. okay. To make math easy for us. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> we don't have calculators. Nope. Here. Nope. How about we'll, we'll do this for our listeners. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back. We know we know the values. Millisecond velocity that we shoot it out at is about 30 meters per second. Mass is about a half a kilogram. And we're going to come back with the power, right? That's what you asked? The power, power. of that kick. Welcome back to Spark Science. Uh, we just took a break from actually doing some calculations. We we're talking with Dr. Riemann and my um, student and show volunteer, Taylor Raybould. And we were just talking about what is the power in a kick was the question. And two physics professors had to take a second and be like, okay, how do we calculate that? And what we decided was we, we, we put together some energy per time is really when we're talking about power. We're talking about watts, which is like joules per time. So we got roughly with um, a hundredth of a second being the contact of the kick, maybe the velocity of this initial ball is um, of after the kick is 30 meters per second, half a kilogram for the mass. We estimated roughly 25,000 watts. And that might not mean anything to anyone, but if we convert that to horsepower, that's like 30 horsepower. And I remember us talking... Um, a different time about like what is the horsepower of like a car, right? So we what did we say? It was like two hundred horsepower. Two hundred, yeah. Yeah. So it seems it seems about reasonable that that would be the power produced in a kick. Listeners, just keep in mind the thirty horsepower are just over a very short amount of time. So right. It's not sustainable. That, that hundredth of a second. Yeah. We'll come back to culture and society <laughs> later, but I'm gonna let Taylor actually ask the last like burning question that you had. My last burning question isn't necessarily about physics, but it is for Dr. Riemann. Who do you think will win the World Cup in 2018? 2018, yeah, in Russia. Um, Ooh. So, um, you know, we talked about this a while back, and I thought Germany has a chance. And then uh, in between, there was a, a little tournament to warm up for the World Cup mm -hmm. where the best teams from each continent kind of participated and Germany actually won that tournament with kind of a junior team. Oh, wow. So they, what is they, this? Who is this junior team we speak of? It's like, uh, you know, the big stars for Germany, they stayed home. Either they were injured or they had a long season. Oh, so wow. Germany took their their young players. Kind of oh, got it. 20, okay. 21 And they still 25. won is what you're telling me. And they won. They had a good tournament. Uh, the final was against Chile, which is also a really good team. I think they're definitely also a contender for next year. Mm -hmm. uh, Germany won. A little bit lucky, you know, uh, but uh, they won. So I think they are in the mix. Uh, then, like I said, Chile, uh, always Brazil, Argentina, always there. Um, and some European powerhouses like Italy, Spain, France, and I think it's the usual suspects plus Chile, I would say, for next year. So what, what do you think, Taylor? 
Well, I'm always going to be rooting for Argentina, which is my favorite national team. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to say either Italy or France, I think will will take home okay. gold. You know. It's it's possible. What about you, Gina? What do you what do you think? <laughs> Um, I have no allegiance to any soccer team. I just will do, I'll just agree with whatever somebody knows more about. Um, but once I start watching the World Cup, once you started having favorites, like you started seeing like mm-hmm. kind of the fan base and the craziness and I'm going to just have to watch and see which one I like the best. But I, I, I kind of want to ask the question to both of you, um, for soccer novices like me, who are the big teams in each continent, because in the last conversation we had um, offline, we were talking about common, you know, teams that go every, you know, every year to the to uh, every four years to the World Cup, and we talked about North America, the dominant one being Mexico in North America. So you have three teams: Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And even Canada isn't very there almost ever, right? That's what you said. Yeah, yeah, Canada yeah. is even worse than the U.S. Yeah, exactly. So that made me feel better. And then, like, you have South America, and you said Argentina was very big. Chile's very big. What about Africa, Asia? What are what are Who are the big teams or t- big countries that are represented at the World Cup? In Asia, there's not a lot of soccer base. Mm-hmm. And so... I thought, like, South Korea was, like, better. Or is that just because the World Cup was there that year? I think really when the World Cup was there in Japan and South Korea, they mm-hmm. had like kind of home home team advantage, but right. they haven't been doing very well in okay. the last couple of years. And then Ivory you know, Coast? the world is waiting for an African team to really step up. Uh, and they're every year like Ghana or Cameroon okay. or there's always a team which is on the verge, but they haven't made it really, you know, to a semifinal. I believe there wasn't, hasn't been in, African country in the semifinals. So with my last question, which I end almost every episode of Spark Science this way, we talk about pop culture and how like science, um, science has been represented in pop culture. But now that we're talking about soccer, we can talk about how is soccer being represented in movies, TV, and also has there ever been a movie or a TV show that you watched and you saw them playing soccer and you're like, eh, that's super, one, maybe it's physically inaccurate, and two, maybe that's just not the way you know, the culture around soccer is. Yeah, soccer movies are not popular either. (laughs) Even uh, in other countries where soccer is like, we've been talking about this thing where it is really a way of life. I've been told this by people at work. It's really a way of life in other parts of the world, but not necessarily here in the United States. So even in other countries, there's not like... Somehow you don't make a movie about that. It's kind of... uh, (laughs) It just is. It's like making a movie about washing dishes. Yeah, basically, <laughs> I think, yeah. You okay. Just, you just do it. You yeah. don't make a movie about it. So, yeah. yeah. Then it like Beckham, I guess, about, you know, cultural differences and yeah. uh, girls playing soccer. I think that's the only one I can think of to soccer references. like. But I think, I think Taylor had brought up pop culture, not just movies, but video, video games, games, right? Yeah. Jinx. FIFA. Yeah. <laughs> FIFA is one of the biggest sort of franchises that there is as far as video games go, like sports video games. And that has a big presence in the United States, unlike movies or TV shows or really soccer itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we were talking about how 
they put out a new one every year, yeah. right? Every year. And the World Cup is every four years. Mm-hmm. Yet FIFA puts out this game every year. Yep. And it updates the rosters. It updates all the players. That's insane. Statistics for each player. And you can, like, create your own team. You can create your own league and players and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that that's super interesting. Um I learned a lot about um, kind of turbulence and thinking about these things. I mostly learned a lot about soccer rules, but I want to thank um, Dr. Raymond for being here, Andreas, and um, I want to thank Taylor for these awesome these awesome prepared questions. Thanks a lot for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. This is Spark Science, and we'll be back again next week. Listen to us on 102.3 FM in Bellingham or KMRE.org, streaming on Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays at noon, and Saturdays at 3 p.m. If there's a science idea you're curious about, send us an email or post a message on our Facebook page, Spark Science. This is an all-volunteer-run show, so if you want to help us out, go to sparksciencenow.com and click on Donate. Our producer is Regina Barb-DeGraff. The engineer for today's show is Natalie Moore. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I rap, you think iodine, nitrate, activate. Red uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.